This is a super secret stealth edition of the Dev Hell podcast, episode number 28. Um, coming to you partially from Pawnee, Indiana, and from uh, Buffalo, New York, where uh, yours truly is down for a quick visit to do some meetings and some training with my wonderful uh, fans at Cinecore. So, how's it going, Ed? Pretty good, pretty good. Are they're your fans, not your employers? Fans. Uh, well, yeah, they're fans and employers and employees. So it's uh, it's really a win-win for me. My ego gets boosted. My ego gets boosted by being down here. So that's a good thing. That's right. Uh, so we apologize for a bit of technical difficulties. My laptop decided that it, I was fooling around with something that I bought that uses Bluetooth, and then my laptop said "fuck you, Bluetooth," and it just started crashing repeatedly. So uh, I'm coming to you from Skype via my Jesus phone. So hopefully, the sound quality will be okay. Yeah. Are you using the Bluetooth on the phone? No, I have Bluetooth. I got mad enough. I turned Bluetooth off. I'm just on um, Wi-Fi right now. Oh, okay. But are like to are you using like headphones, like, like earbuds or something? I just have my uh, my in-ear ancient uh, Shure head S H U R E earbuds that I bought, and just using whatever the phone is, whatever the mic is on the iPhone. So no, I'm not using. Oh, Bluetooth. okay. I got I'm not using you. a Bluetooth headset no. So that's why you sound like a, just a complete amateur. Is that what you're right. <laughs> Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, we were kind of do a little bit of a short episode tonight, I think, because we're starting, like, really late and we're tired, right? So, yeah, so here's – so uh, do we have sponsors? I guess we don't really have any sponsors for this episode. Well, so um, we're still – you know, we're still in talks with Engine Yard, and hopefully we'll keep continue to keep having a good relationship with those guys. Um, uh, and if we're not we're not broadcasting this live, but, of course, the Wonder Network guys have been really awesome. And, Paul, uh, shout out to Paul Reinheimer and his uh, – what's his uh, co-worker's name? Will, is that his name? Will. I actually looked because he mentioned Will's account – like his Twitter account today, huh. and I looked, and Will has posted to Twitter like five times. Nice. So he's staying on top of social media on behalf of yeah. Internet. And I think he's following like about that many people. So he is very... He's, A keen, savvy user of social media. Yeah, or maybe keener than us, right? Well, because, you know... Maybe he's so not on it that he's on it. That could be, yeah. I mean, this could be just a... Maybe he does all his business on another account, right? Okay, so Ed, before we launch into the topics, I know before when we were having some technical difficulties, I mentioned I had a humorous little anecdote. Uh, so it'll only take a minute, so I'll go through it real quick. I didn't remember so, that, but go ahead. Oh, maybe that's when we got disconnected. Yeah. So so when I was out, I was out for dinner tonight at the all-you-can-eat uh, chicken wings place, and it was actually as awesome as it sounds. Sounds good. Um so I had tons of chicken wing and a whole bunch of beer. Fuck paleo. I'm on a trip no. uh, for 27 bucks. So I was completely full. And uh, right. we were talking about stuff with the waiter. And so he was talking and we started talking about weird foods. And I started talking about deep fried Twinkies. And, and so the guy was like, oh, man, this sucks. No one's ever going to have a Twinkie for a while. I'm like, dude, you can buy Twinkies in Canada. They're not owned by Hostess up there. Uh-oh. And the entire table was stunned. To oh hear that Twinkies can still be procured in the in Canada, so I promised my coworkers that next time I come down for a visit, I will buy several boxes of Twinkies and bring them down with oh, me. Oh, that's hilarious! All right, now, are are you worried about like uh, Border Patrol listening to this? Because I'm sure there's taxes and tariffs. Well, I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, Twinkies do not count as actual food, so I should uh, be okay to bring those down. Yeah, that's I'll true. just be like, I got like a. 
trunk full of Twinkies, and they'll be like, well, those aren't farm food, farm-raised food, so it should be good. Yeah. And I must say, uh, in on behalf of the border people, they were most uh, they were most friendly and professional. And I was, I believe, I was there at the border for less than twenty-five seconds um, last night. They were very professional and verified the things that I said. I repeated everything that I was asked, and I was sent on my way. So that was good. Yeah, hey, that's cool. You know what? What you're saying reminds me. Um, of uh, the Tasty Cake situation. Um, uh, now, are you familiar with Tasty Cakes? No, I am not. They are um, like, say, Hostess or Little Debbie, but good. And okay. um, so they, but they really, they're an East Coast kind of thing, like New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania. And my family right. is mostly from Pennsylvania. Right. And, and so it would, those of us who had migrated to the Midwest, um, would often request that when relatives visit that they bring, bring out the tasty cakes. Yeah, yes. they bring out tasty cakes. Although uh, I was excited that my wife uh, went to uh, go get some groceries and came home with a couple boxes of tasty cakes. Nice. So, well, the the distribution has been weird over the years. Like for a while, they were out in the Midwest, and then they went away again. And I don't know, maybe they're back now. So it's pretty exciting. Cool. No, um, it's like I used to do that too when I worked for that online dating site. Um, the office manager was from Long Island, right. so when he would go back home, uh, and he would go back home for visits, and he would come back to to Toronto, and he would always bring a crave case or three from White Castle. So that was always oh, yeah. good. Now, I, I I don't understand that because I think White Castle is horrible. It's just a novelty. I guess, I guess, but I man, I don't, I know because there's some back people. In, are, back in my 300 pound plus days, I would scarf down like 20 of those suckers. Man, I to me yeah. that's just like. Is it any wonder I used to be 305 yeah, well, pounds when you eat like that? Yeah, yeah. yes, right. Well, that's why I got yep. so tall, though, is why is for me in that. No, I think genetics is why I got tall. <laughs> I was I was slowly working on ending up being as wide as I was tall, and that would have not been a good scene. Yeah, yeah, right. Six and a half feet wide, six and a half feet tall yeah. would not have been. I've seen dudes like that out on the streets, and I, I decided I didn't want to look like that. Like a walking big and tall store. <laughs> yeah, all right, so enough about fat stuff and tasty cakes. Oh, I have to have a tasty cake sometime, and uh, Twinkies. Right. Let's get on with our topics. Yeah, so... We had, uh, I guess there are a couple different topics that we, we uh, discussed, and um, I thought uh, while it's fresh in your mind, we should talk about the um, uproar uh, that you caused uh, amongst... Oh, on Twitter uh, yesterday. Yeah, on yeah. Twitter okay. yesterday. about. So maybe you should give some backstory to people who actually have a life and didn't pay attention. Yeah, who don't, who don't worship me on Twitter. Okay, yeah, right. so my thoughts on frameworks are kind of well-known. I'm like, I'm not a big fan of frameworks, and the reason why I'm not a big fan is not because I have a burning desire to write my own code, but because I find many frameworks are making the trade-off of magic in the background to make developers' life easier. And I think this has become even more evident of this trend in all the serious butthurt that Rails has gone under, has experienced over the past few weeks, where it seems like every day now there is a new, really terrible security vulnerability being announced for Rails, 
and then uh, all the Rails people having to frantically patch their applications. I know that Fictive Kin has been impacted by this because you have, uh, I believe it's To Do, the To Do yeah. app. Uh, unfortunately, is a Rails one. So poor Sean Coates has been cursing uh, the entire Rails and Ruby community while you guys are patching things like a motherfucker. So, yep. I, so I did a tweet um, where I said that, because um, basically it, it's my opinion that the attacks on Rails are just a symptomatic of developers' desires to use eval as a shortcut um, to avoid writing explicit stuff in their code. And for those who don't understand what I mean, on the PHP side of things, and in some other languages as well, but PHP is infamous for this, there's a command called eval. You feed it a whole bunch of text of whatever, and then the interpreter, PHP interpreter, looks at it and tries to execute it as if it was PHP code. So eval can do some nasty things if you leave holes open in your application. And the whole thing about Rails' latest set of vulnerabilities has been that you can take JSON and create actual Ruby objects and then inject those objects via parameters in a URL, and then bingo, you can create a vulnerability by injecting an object of your choice with your own parameters into the application and root it and own it and do all sorts of crazy things. And this also works with YAML, and I dislike YAML because of a project I had to do at work where I found YAML to be very unforgiving in terms of spacing and formatting and stuff. So you can do the same thing, create an object with YAML and inject it via parameters because deep inside Ruby, and Rails relying on this functionality to just blindly convert YAML and JSON into objects without sanitizing, filtering them, or anything. So I said on Twitter that eval is eval, no matter how you try to uh, hide it, and and no make developer happy framework is going to protect you from that. And the make developer happy thing is, is of course, a very thinly veiled reference to to Rails, where Rails and Ruby are languages that proclaim that uh, developer happiness is more important than um, program happiness as uh, or system happiness, however you want to do it. That you should be, you know, it's developers over hardware, basically. So you should be creating tools that make developers happy, never mind the impact on the system. And so the supreme allied commander of uh, Zen Framework, Matthew Weir O'Finney, who is actually a pretty good friend of mine, uh, just fucking pissed all over me on Twitter is the only way I can uh, t- describe it, just going off on me, rant after rant after rant in a series of tweets. And the thing that had me upset the most about it was that he was talking about stuff that I didn't say. And he was pinning things on me that I didn't say. He was saying things like, you say all frameworks are evil, which of course I've never actually said. And my whole point was, Frameworks that rely on what I would consider to be magic, and, th- and, and that means shit is happening in the background that the developers are not aware of and, and do not understand the impact of those things, will ruin you every single time. And that explicitness is the foundation of a well-built application. So any framework that attempts to hide things from the developer will eventually bite that developer in the ass because people will blindly build things without understanding that underneath the hood, all these things that that you are using to make it easier for you to quickly build something are going to screw you as soon as somebody figures out a really easy attack vector. Right? Yeah. And that's what's happened to Rails. Rails With Rails, it's now the equivalent of the blood's in the water, there's a bunch of swimmers in there, and the shark cage is like a quarter of a mile away. You're never going to make it. So, so Matthew apologized to me afterwards via private message saying that he had just been having a, a bad day or whatever. But the point was, like, I want to iterate to people. I use frameworks all the time at 
work. And for projects too, there are good frameworks. I just like frameworks that are explicit. I like frameworks that don't hide things from you. I like frameworks where you can actually pretty easily figure out what's going on, that it doesn't require to be an expert or have a certification in a framework to understand what's going on. Yeah, I. so I know what you mean. I, I, there's, there's a... I mean, one thing is, I guess I'd say, uh, I mean, I certainly have had bad days, so I've gone off on people too. So I totally understand where Matthew might have been coming from. Maybe, maybe he had a, it, it's, it might have rubbed him the wrong way, and it reminded him of some other stuff that. Oh that yeah, I just happened. So, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it sounds like I was just the last person in a long line of people yeah, right. talking shit about framework. Well, so he, he did. Decided- he- he decided to take a person, which is okay. I mean, I get Matthew's point, but my point was don't, my point was not yeah. don't use frameworks and write, oh, yeah. on, write all your own shit. It's like you re- if you're going to commit to using a framework, you really need to understand what's going on under the hood because yeah. there had to have been Rails people who understood that this huge security hole was lurking in the application for a very long time. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure there's some people who had managed to patch things and said, I'm never going to use this functionality that's uh, so that my apps aren't impacted by it. But right. it's just, it, uh, it's like the, the rush for people to christen a framework as the preferred tool. It just irks me. Cause it's like, you have people, you have people who are willing, people who build them are willingly being ignorant to the problems. And then the people who want to support them, I don't understand what's going on under the, it's always, you need to understand under the hood what's going on. And Matthew did say there is no eval anywhere in Zen framework. Oh, so I, the, I would have so, been shocked if there was. So, yeah. so, cause on the PHP side, you just mentioned eval and people are like, what the fuck do you think you're doing? And it's almost, I think it's almost impossible for anything other than messenger. The only thing that really uses eval that I've seen these days is to, is the mock building libraries for uh, testing frameworks. Right. But that's so specialized and usually that testing code is not even accessible via the web. You can't even get at it from your web route. So, uh, I've never heard of an exploit involving a testing framework in PHP, but maybe someone has figured out how to do it. Simple test maybe since it focused on a web based runner. You might be able to do something like that, but I've never heard of, of an exploit where people are able to run, execute tests from like a PHP unit test suite uh, from the web app itself and cause a buffer overflow and get access to the server and, and shit like that. Yeah, I, I think it's unlikely. Um, I mean, I guess it's possible and people do, you know, sometimes leave, you know, test suites laying around in like, you know, in an accessible place. But I think it's fairly unlikely. I think most of the major like say PHP applications don't ship with their unit tests exposed in a way, or they usually ship them separately or if they do. Um, I think, you know, there's a couple of things that, that, that kind of makes me think about. I think the first thing is that uh, I really am glad that in PHP and coming from a PHP background, we had to get, because of the sort of high visibility and, uh, you know, uh, being so targeted because it was used so widely and so and wa- and so many PHP uh, applications written in PHP were are, were so widely used they became really really popular targets for uh, attacks and so as a consequence I think coming from that background you're you have a much a very heightened sense of awareness about security issues and I, for me i think i always think to myself well if i do this 
what are the consequences of that? Like, what could I do that would be bad, right? What could a, what could a an, an end user like inject into this to make something, you know, to make it happen? Like, because I know, okay, this is this is coming input from coming from outside the application. So, what are the consequences of that? And those are like that's like the first thing I think about, as opposed to, um, I think it's a it's kind of an understandable thing where if if you're interested in uh, particularly things like uh, domain-specific languages, um, writing things in a more uh, terse way and things like that, I think it's going to get attractive to you to use things like, say, YAML to mock up and, say, create Ruby objects out of that. For example, that I mean, I can kind of understand that if that's sort of the way you're thinking. It's like... Um, it's mainly hey. for conf- it's like for configuration, right? That you have right. your configuration file. It's all in YAML, and then you run it through this one method that turns the YAML into an object. And because Ruby is all about objects, then yeah, it's very natural that you have like a registry object that you can then access and pull things out. I understand why it's there. Yeah, it's just right. the implement the implementation just seemed to me to scream uh, exploitable. You know? Yeah. Now I can't I can't speak because I I haven't examined you know what was. The exactly exploited in these things, so I can't I can't speak so much to like, well, geez, this should have been obvious or not. Uh, but I know that coming from that background, there's a lot of cases where my tendency is going to be, um, you know, use the safest possible implementation, and instead of something that seems like it's probably good enough, and you sort of learn things like. Well, you black or excuse me, you use a whitelist instead of a blacklist, for example. I mean, classic thing. But it's like I still, you know, I still run into that where if you uh, uh, are deal with uh, frameworks that aren't, you know, weren't as commonly used as PHP and didn't weren't as as, as did, didn't you didn't build applications on top of it that were so commonly targeted. Uh, you're not going to think like uh, the first case. Okay, well, how do I sanitize like the input? On this, uh, should you know, are we checking to make sure that the person can't inject code into it, et cetera, et cetera? Um, there's a lot of like one of the things I've noticed is that um, in a lot of frameworks, there's sort of an expect there's a, an expectation that you just sort of rely on um, escaping of stuff on output, like HTML right. escaping. So there's some understanding of that, but there's often little or no attention paid to sanitization of input. Um, like making sure that that stuff doesn't end up in your code base or end up in your data in the first place, right? Yeah. Um, and that's that's a, a a very, I would say, standard multi-layered approach to security, which is the one that you, ha- that you really need to take. You can't just rely on this one thing. Well, hopefully they don't figure out a way to escape it. Um we ran into uh, a, 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 I, I ran into a thing on a on a project uh, where uh, because the Python like what what Python kicked out um, when it outputs JSON like it's JSON um, uh, encoder they right. take take a Python object and turn it into JSON and ship it out or a Python dict really a dictionary. Um, and it spits it out. Well, it formats it a little different than PHP. PHP actually does some some additional, but not technically necessary escaping of stuff in uh, in uh, in the JSON output. And um, one of the things we found is that uh, the stuff that Python kicks out, if you just embed that as um, 
like as a piece of script in your, uh, you know, in the, say in the head of the file you serve up, which you'll commonly do to like, say, bootstrap an app, a JavaScript application, right? So the server will serve up HTML, and it'll just have a skeleton of HTML, but it'll also have um, some data embedded in there that's just a, a real simple JavaScript, you know, structure, you know, no, no methods in it, but just like uh, a hash of data. Right. Um, well, that's a common thing you'll do to sort of bootstrap the application and pre-fill some data so you don't have to pull it down again. Um, well, uh, you could use it in such a way that, like, you could inject uh, script tags into that, and Python will just spit that out, and then because of the way that, that Python d- does its, its, its JSON output a little differently... Um, at least one browser we found will actually just go ahead and execute that. It'll see the script tag and just be like, "Oh, okay, time to do it," and it'll it'll just treat it as um, as as a uh, as a piece of uh, HTML and oh, actually execute it like that. So um, that was a case where PHP, just because of what their JSON encoder does, would would block that error. I'm not sure intentionally. I think it was sort of a side effect, but maybe it was intentional. Maybe they were doing it in a slightly safer way. But Python did not. Uh, at least the the yeah the Python's JSON encoder did not. So we ran into that issue where it was like, well, we expected it to handle that. Well, it didn't. No. And then I get back and I'm like, well, you know, we shouldn't be allowing this code into the application in the first place. You know, uh, we shouldn't. You shouldn't actively say, well, yeah, I know somebody could could put you know, arbitrary HTML into our into our data, but it, when it gets served out, it gets escaped. Well, that's not... I mean, what if there's a problem with your escaping? What if somebody finds a way around it? You know, that stuff happens. So you got to... A multi-layered approach is really important. So... And what I found is that there just is not that same kind of awareness of it. Like, if you talk to folks, you know, who are doing, say... Uh, Django Dev, or you know, Python, or Flask Dev, or stuff like that. You don't run into very. I. It's really hard to find like input sanitization libraries. Mm. There's a lot so, of stuff where so that maybe so yeah. maybe there's so for listeners who are into Python, there's a niche for you to go and fill. Start get those security chops up because it sounds to me like uh, the Python community could use a little bit of help in that regard. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that well, there is no. There's no application that people are deploying in in millions uh, that is, you know, say written in Python. That's the same that's way very true. that that's you very have true. like with WordPress or Drupal or Joomla or things like that. You just don't have that level of you know that that level of visibility. Um, so it tends to be the written, you know custom applications that are written on top of a framework. And that's very different than a, a an application that is prepackaged to be deployed by folks who maybe have maybe aren't programmers, but they're comfortable with running the application stuff and things like that. You might call them administrators or, you know, whatever uh, you want to call that, but they're not um, they're not coding a custom application. They are taking a prepackaged app, um, un- uploading it excuse me, unzipping it and uploading it or using some kind of, you know, one-click install or something like that. And that is a really, really common thing that you deal with in PHP. And you don't, that that model is not that common in, in other uh, dynamic languages. So, on the web at least. So, 
I, I think that that's why PHP, you know, I, it's just natural. Like, you ex- that is a mantra, a mantra, a mantra. Uh, it's to filter input, escape output consistently. And that's, and, and no, that's, that's why right. it just doesn't come up in, in Python. There's some stuff to do it, but it is not, it's, it was hard for me to find, like to find a, a, a good HTML sanitization library. Um, you can, I found one called Bleach that was pretty good. Um, I want to run like some more tests on it, and I was thinking about writing a blog post, but I was going to run like a bunch of stuff through it to see how it does. But um, you know, it's uh, there. There just isn't the awareness of it, right? Because I think the expectation—it's just not thought of as as much of a of a danger as as it, uh, you'd imagine it would be. So, um, but that that's definitely I I've been surprised like the difficulty in finding things like just simple. Input filtering and sanitization stuff. Um, there just isn't that much of that. Uh, I'm, surpri- yeah. I'm surprised those things aren't available as like Django middleware and other components. I, kind yeah, of, I think I think they do. Maybe just, they may, maybe they are, but because you're not doing that much Django stuff, it's maybe harder to find. I don't know. It seems it seems like they would be there and be an integral part. But I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe the people who tend to build Python-based frameworks, they just don't approach security from the same place as the constantly burned PHP people have. I see a lot of like input validation stuff, but I think the approach is a little different. It's not as defensive. Right. It's more, well, is this a valid phone number? Right, you know, or is this a valid credit card number or stuff like that? And by doing that, you get some protection, because you can't, you know, you can't put a script tag inside of a, something and it, it validates as a telephone number, right? So true. There's certain things like that, but um, in that case, it's sort of like: Are you thinking about the intent? Is the intent, or is it at least partly? Is it partially to block um, code injection and malicious input? And my impression is that just I, I just don't haven't seen the same kind of awareness with that stuff. Um, and again, there's sort of an expectation that, well, if we just escape it on output, it's going to be fine. And you know that I, I'm I'm always kind of I'm sort of surprised by that. But but that that I think it I think that speaks to just a difference in the in the kind of stuff that you have to deal with with PHP versus what you've had to deal with with other languages. And so our, we I think when you come from that, and like I said, you come from that background. I think the uh, I think you have a much heightened awareness of uh, of security issues. Yeah, I think the reaction uh, to the by most experienced PHP developers to the whole current set of Rails vulnerabilities is like they're using eval. Really, that's kind of everyone looks at it and goes, "Ooh, that's like an eval thing," and nobody and that's people generally recommend not doing that. So, to sum up the first little the first third of our uh, podcast. Chris makes a comment about you shouldn't be using eval and that frameworks need to be aware of this. Head of framework project shits all over Chris on Twitter, <laughs> claiming that Chris said things that he never said. And then we have a good discussion about how uh, PHP people have been forced to become very security conscious and my and our shared opinion that when you use a framework, you need to understand whether there is any actual magic lurking underneath that is just magically taking things and getting them to do something. Because I talked about it real quickly with some people on Twitter and there was an interesting discussion about what is considered magic and some of the things that people talked about is being magic i'm like i don't don't, to me like stuff like auto loaders does not fall into the category of things that are magic auto loaders are very easy to understand they're just traversing your file
file system looking to load something, nothing magical about them. Okay, so let's, because we're trying to keep this short because it's late, let's move on to the next topic, which sure. is gloss, which is glossy. So why don't you talk a bit about, uh, about glossy? Oh, yeah. So, so, uh, it's the best name ever for a, uh, a, a technical group. Basically, uh, I really liked sort of the experience that I had at, uh, conferences. Um, and that exp- I think it's different. You know, I interact with tons of people online all the time and talk about open source and talk about, you know, and even collaborate on stuff and things like that and try to share my knowledge and learn certainly learn from tons of people. Um, and I really enjoy that. But it's different when you're in person. It's really different when you're there and you're socializing and you're with a person and you're really interacting with them and having conversations. That 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 intensity and it's really it's really exciting and invigorating to me and i i think lots of people talk about that sort of like conference high you have and like how you feel inspired to do stuff right oh i feel that way all the time right right well good for you um (laughs) that uh i think one of the things is that when you are if you live in an area where you don't sort of have a connection to other folks who are doing that kind of work a lot. I think that you have a tendency. It's like, well, you'll dig. St- you know, you really like that conference experience, and you feel inspired. But then it's like, well, I don't really feel that after a while. That if you know, a week or so, that goes away, and then it's like you don't really feel that way until next year, right? Um, and uh, I, I guess I, I was. Think I thought a lot about you know different user groups where we've got like there's one in Cincinnati I, I spoke at um, uh, PHP user group down there um, different user groups all over the place uh, there's there's a you know for Python and Ruby and PHP and 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 then specific application stuff like you know Drupal groups and WordPress groups and stuff like that and um, I think in a way. I, I, those are ways to kind of keep that going, where you're socializing, interacting with folks, and keeping that, I guess, collaborative learning experience, um, where you're really that shared learning um, and that excitement. Uh, I think you can kind of keep that going, and I really, really dig that. But where I live, there hasn't been a lot of that stuff. There's been a little bit, and um, there's a, a sort of more uh, open-ended sort of technical slash, you know, uh, IT startup kind of thing called Lafayette Tech, um, where I live here in, in, in Lafayette, Indiana. And um, But I kind of, I was really interested specifically in open source. And what are those crazy sounds you're making? Oh, sorry. My Remember, I talked about earlier, I'll, listeners in on it real quick. I have bought this cool little uh, Bluetooth speaker called yeah. the Jawbone Jawbox. Jambox, it finally decided to come back to life. It just... Yeah. It just popped itself on, so I turned it off, and it's over here. And we're gonna have a good talking too when I'm all done. Yeah, you should definitely talk to your tricorder there for. That's uh, right. Okay, so. Um, so you start up glossy. So, right. Right. So, so well, so, so I, I, yeah. Let me just say. I, I, sure. So my idea was I wanted to do something that was more open source focused, um, and but I I I probably would have started like a PHP user group or something like that, but there's not enough people around here, even though we actually, we have a, a large state university here uh, in Purdue. Um, just didn't feel like there was enough of that to necessarily get a start. So I wanted to make it sort of more open-ended to get more people in and stuff. And I decided to say, 
something about, you know, to make it about open source. So it's the Greater Lafayette Open Source Symposium, which was something that uh, my friend Ben Cotton came up with. Nice. And uh, so, yeah, we call it Glossy, which is unfortunately not a great hashtag, we found. Um, That is uh, definitely, we don't really stand out in that sense. It is not unique. But um, it's going pretty well. And so for a few months... We kind of did it kind of half-assed, well, half-assed, really. Um, like, we kind of, we said, well, maybe we should start a mailing list. So we do a Google group, which, of course, has mailing list stuff in it. And then it's like, well, you know, maybe we ought to do something on Google Plus to have it, too. And then somebody was like, well, you know, Facebook, there's a lot of, you got to pick up a lot of traction on Facebook and stuff. It's like, okay, all right, well, did this. But it's kind of, it was kind of, and also try to talk on Twitter, but it's all kind of spread all over the place, right? So we had a few guys who showed up, and we just basically, like, once a month get together and have coffee and just chat about stuff, right? Um, you can tell how nerdy it is because we didn't go to a bar. We went to have coffee. And so, but, like, over this weekend, I was like, you know what? I really want to make this into something, and I've been thinking more about it, and I was like, maybe I need to get more serious about it. And I had looked at meetup.com before, and I decided at the time, I was like, man, this is like 12 bucks a month minimum, and this seems like a lot of money. I don't know. But then I thought, I guess today, or I guess this weekend, I felt like maybe I ought to just spend the money and see what happens. So... What I found was that when I signed up for meetup.com, immediately way more people are interested. I mean, not like... Boom, ten- went the down. Yeah, exactly. Not like not like yes. thousands, but immediately I picked up more traffic, and I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons for that. I think one is that when you sign up for meetup.com, uh, they ask you for a bunch of interests, like you pick interests that you have. And then what happens is that if a group or a meetup starts in your area that has that says they ha- are, handle an interest that you have demarked as one of yours, uh, they will then email you when it happens, right? When it I get those up. emails all the time through meetup. Yep. Yeah, I bet that's super annoying. And then secondly... Um, There's less of them around here, so it's probably not as big a deal. I bet, like in a big city, you probably get tons of them. And then, so, so so then the other thing is that I think that having everything in sort of a centralized place is helpful, um, where there's just one place to go and everything's there, like group discussion, and it handles, you know, you know, RSVP junk for you and stuff like that. And and I don't know, I don't know if people are aware of the fact that Meetup.com costs money, but it does seem maybe there's something to it, like, well, maybe this is a little more serious than just some dudes, you know, talking on Twitter about, like, having a tweet up, you know. So, yeah. I don't know. Maybe they take it a little more seriously. I, I, think, I think they do. I mean, for our, for the G, for GTA PHP, the Greater Toronto one, mm-hmm. we use Meetup, and now basically everything that we do goes through Meetup because that's the expectation now that all our members know to get in touch with us, to talk about anything to do with the user group, any suggestions for talks, uh, people who want to post uh, jobs and stuff, it all goes through one central place and one place that is kind of easy to um, remember as well. I'm not surprised at all that once you put Glossy up on Meetup that you started getting um, better response. Yeah, so it's kind of, it's encouraging because it's, it's kind of been, not stagnant, but nothing's really happened. It's like it hasn't been growing, right? And so to suddenly, um, automatically, not automatically, but immediately get, better response and more interest is exciting right and and so that's cool and it sort of makes me 
think about some of the stuff I wanted to do now seems a little more possible, like maybe having some, like, not just social events, but, but um, more, uh, I guess, technical slash educational events, right? Like maybe do things like, hey, we're going to do a presentation on this, and so, you know, we still need to find a place to do it and stuff, but I think we'll probably find, be able to do that. Um, but things of that nature. Um, and so that's pretty exciting to me. Like, that's that's really what I like about this stuff, <laughs> like the open source stuff, and the is I really, really, really like that collaborative learning and sharing of things that you've made, and um, that just really excites me and invigorates me and 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 gives me energy and so it's really exciting to me the idea that we can do i could do that locally because that has not been something that i felt like uh, you know i've had so it it's, sounds it yeah. sounds like by focusing on open source because that the in because i mean php is still your wheelhouse even though you're not really using it much anymore but that's a community you're most familiar with sure. so it sounds like in your particular circumstance that focusing on the just the pure open source side of things has worked out well. Like if I look at the Toronto area, I think if you tried to start up a group that's just all about like open web technologies, it's way too nebulous, probably too difficult with drawing from a very large geographical area to get any kind of cohesion because the more people you are, the more likely they're going to want to find a smaller tribe uh, within the larger group to latch on to. So I know that I've been talking that Matt Frost, who's there in, uh, North, I guess it's Northwest Indiana is closest to Chicago. Yeah, up by Chicago, yeah. Yeah, so Matt has been talking about his difficulties in trying to get a PHP users group set up in his area, and I'm like, well, maybe there's just not enough PHP people who want to come out and do stuff, so he's talked about wanting to come out to Glossy, but sometimes that's the thing. You want, you're want you trying to do the social thing and the collaborative thing, and sometimes you have to cast a much wider net in order just to get enough people interested in coming out. I mean, yeah. Glossy sounds awesome. It sounds like it'd be even kind of cool to do kind of like a little glossy hackathon come out hack on open use open source technologies just to make something cool see what you can hack together in a in a couple of hours because we had one of these things when i was um, uh for for our february meeting for for the gta php we did a hackathon and i was still sick as a dog with uh, conference flu so i couldn't come out but it sounded like the feedback was really good and more than once people were like i wish every meeting could be like this where we get together for four or five hours and hack on stuff Right. Yeah. So, so uh, it sounds like it sounds like glossy is just sounds like you've you've hit upon the right combination of things that that are making you happy and getting people to come out and interested in what's going on. Yeah, because you know the guys we've got, um, you know, uh, come from a lot of different <coughs> backgrounds. Jesus, I should have muted that. <laughs> come from a lot of different backgrounds, um, but they're all using open source. Um, a couple of us are programmers. Or developers. Um, a couple of us are sysadmins and ops guys. Um, we've got a couple folks who really are are sort of in that category of um, they're building things with open source tools, but they're not necessarily developers. They are, are building things with, say, like WordPress and Drupal, a lot of open source CMSs and things like that. Um, and I think all of those are really valid and interesting. Approaches and I, I I like that diversity and I'm really I'm uh, the diversity of opinions and 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 perspectives so I think that'll be an interesting thing to uh, to work with and see where that goes because I think we'll all have a lot to like teach each other and I think that's really cool. 
Cool. So the uh, the too long don't read version of our second uh, part of the episode is creating collaborative groups is good. It's energizing Ed to the point where he wants to participate and don't be afraid to move from specific tech to more generic tech in order to just find people who are interested in doing the same sort of stuff as you. Yeah. And I think it's really valuable anyway. I mean, to learn about different things, right? So if you have to open it up to be like a dynamic languages thing where it's like PHP and Python and Perl and Ruby and not just PHP, you know, or not just Python or something, you know, I think that works. So yeah, it's it's yeah. made me it's made me wonder if uh, True North PHP the conference will eventually end up being True North uh, Web conference and try to get more people um, involved, branch out to Ruby and Python and other right. uh, open source web technologies. It makes me wonder if that's the direction to go, but. For now, True North PHP seems to be getting enough focus that we're having a, a good time. All right, so yeah. let's move on to the final act of tonight, which is uh, interesting where, you know, of course, the you could argue that the conference submission uh, process never really ends. There are conferences to submit to almost every single month out of the year. Um, me personally, I've had to step back from conferences pretty much for the rest of the year after PHP Tech. I will not be doing anything except for True North PHP be in November, but uh, some of your favorite conferences are coming up now to submit, which is uh, OzCon and um, uh, Open Source Bridge, and so you've been submitting a very interesting talk, so let's, let's, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. let's, let's, talk, about, let's talk about that for like 15-20 minutes. Yeah, so, you know, I, we had an episode, or I think it was our 15th episode, where I talked a lot about uh, the, the struggles I have with, with mental illness and specifically depression and anxiety. And I, something I've been really dealing with my whole life and, and figuring, you know, that, you know, trying to talk about what it's like and try to talk about, you know, what I try to do to deal with it. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, we just got a really amazing response. I mean, by far the most response and feedback we've got, we, we still to this day have gotten from any episode. I um, think it's the most feedback and response on anything that I've ever participated in, in my career wow. as a programmer. Really, yeah. Just the, the things that people have asked me questions about the topic and asked me if I've had those same problems. And I've always said, I have such a massive ego. There's no way I could be, ever be mentally ill. So, <laughs> um, so as, like I said, I'm, that's one of the, I think in all honesty, that's one of the things I've been the most proud to participate in. And one of the things that has generated the most interest in something that I've done better than any, I feel better about what we did than any book that I've written, any blog post that I've ever done. So well, that's pretty awesome. Um, it, is, it is. So, so the goal yeah. here is that you want to, you want to take the show on the road, so to speak, and yeah. spread awareness at conferences by, by, uh, talking about these things. So that's the basic idea. I mean, I kind of struggled with something like what to do about this because I got, I was getting a lot of feedback from folks. It's like, you know, I totally, where they were saying, I'm so glad you talked about this. I have similar problems. And I think, I think hearing and, and they're nervous or uncom not comfortable, don't know anybody that they really feel comfortable talking with about and sort of feel like they're kind of alone in this respect, right? And, um, well, I totally know what that's like, right? Um, and so I, I struggle for a long time trying to figure out how to deal with this. Like, what do I want to do? Do I want to set up some kind of thing where, like, a support thing or something, like, to help folks? And, you know, look, I obviously there's lots of 
you know, services out there to help people who have mental illness. I mean, I only know my, my community is open source developers and the web developers. I mean, that's my community. So I'm sort of focusing on that because those are the folks I know. Right. And those are folks that I feel like I can, I can help within this, this group. Um, and so I've got, uh, you know, again, I kicked around different things, and none of them never ever seemed like I don't know, maybe they were too much work, or just like I just didn't really know how to make them happen right now, and like how do I raise awareness of this? And I, you know, I guess it was a couple months ago I started thinking about well, maybe it would make sense to just do, uh, you know, just to speak at conferences about this and try to raise awareness about this stuff. And I think I think part of it came from something that. A person uh, who I, you know, I, I, I to you know protect her privacy. Uh, I don't want to say the person's name, but uh, somebody who I really, really have a ton of respect for, and I've admired for a, a long time uh, in, in in open source, and came up to me, and the person said, "I wanted to tell you that what you said, and when you did that episode, that really that made me." And, that gave me, I guess, I don't know if courage is the right word. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing, but but it it motivated this person to go and seek out some help on issues that they've dealt with um, that weren't exactly the same issues, uh, but similar, you know, kind of related things and uh, to dealing with sort of mental illness and how our, how our brains work and how we how we kind of cope with the way our brain works and how does that fits into you know, how we're supposed to, you know, be productive in life and how do we, you know, how you become, how you maintain happiness and stuff like that. Right. And I was really, I was honestly, I was really blown away. Um, <laughs> uh, because I, like I said, I really admire this person and it was, it, it was just really touching to me and also made me feel like maybe I need to do, uh, maybe I need to keep doing this, just this, just talking about it. And um, so I, what I decided I was going to try to do this year was, um, I, you know, there's a lot of talk, like when you, when you, like, like descriptions I've given, so basically responses to CFPs. Um, with abstracts for talks and there's you know they're pretty much you've got like this cycle i can give this talk or i can give this talk or they give this talk and it's fine and i can do that and that's interesting and you know i could probably send a, a lot of those same ones out and probably get picked for some different you know conferences and feel pretty confident that i was probably going to get picked up by some but i felt like that you know what i don't want to do that because i just that's not really exciting to me that's not you know that doesn't, uh, I, you know, I, I could do a technical talk. That's fine. Um, but, uh, there are really two talks that I decided that I was going to propose out. One is sort of that micro code talk and basically, you know, I wrote a, you know, an advent article about a web advent article about that, about called more code, more problems. And so that's the first thing. And that's, that's more of a technical talk, but it's still kind of, it's not like here's code examples and I'm going to do a tutorial and stuff like that. It's different than stuff I've done before. And then, but the other one then is uh, is a talk that um, right now I'm calling open sourcing depression. Um, and basically talking, it's I mean I guess the idea is that I'm going to do something a little bit like what I we did on the podcast. Where I'm going to talk about 
my experiences um, and uh, put it in the context of you know who I am as a as an open source community member as a developer um, you know and also a, a, a father and a husband and uh, talk about how I cope with that every day and the struggles that I have and you know good days and bad days and figuring out how to deal with that and you know I just talked about hey, I think this is a talk that I'm going to try to give. And I submitted it to Open Source Bridge and um, got really good. And I told, because with Open Source Bridge, they have a completely open CFP, so you can see all the things that have been proposed. Oh, that's kind of cool. Right, and and so people can look and see, okay, these are all the proposals. And if you want, you can email the the like the committee members or, or whatever, the, the organizers, and if you have a, something you want to say about that particular proposal. Um, and so that was, uh, I, I, I took the opportunity to say, Hey, I'm proposing this. And I'm also, I also propose it to OzCon too, the open source conference that O'Reilly does. Um, and so, but I pointed to the open source bridge thing and said, this is the talk I, I want to give. And I'm, I'm proposing it to these two places and I'd like to propose, I'd like to do it other places too. Right. And. I got several people who came back to me and says, I really, really, really would want to see that. Like, I would want to come and see you give that talk, and that would be a reason for me to come to this conference, which I thought was crazy because surely there's, like, you know, it, it seems weird to me that I, I think, you know, but I, I, it's obviously important to a lot of people. I mean, the people, like one guy I remember telling me, I, I know, somebody on Twitter I, I don't really know who said, just to know that I wasn't the only person who was doing dealing with this, right? And 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 yeah, that, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it's kind of crazy to me, but I understand too because I've dealt like gone through it's dealing with this my whole life for a long time. I felt like there was just something wrong with me, and that like my effectively my I wasn't made right, and I was broken. And I cannot actually. I'm not going to be able to actually like cope with society and and dealing with life. And I, it, eventually, it was just not going to work, one way or another, right? And um, so I dig that. I dig where they're coming from with that. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, a lot of people have asked me like, I don't think I could probably go to something like this, but could you please videotape it? Right. And I was like, yes, of course. And if I have a chance, you know, if I can give the talk, I'm going to try to videotape it and stuff like that. But I, I'm just blown away. Like this, wait, you know, I can give it some, I can give a talk about a lot of things. That's probably, that's valuable to people. I, I think that people seem to be like, I can talk to them about, you know, building stuff with JavaScript or PHP or Python and different things I've learned. And I really like doing that. And I really enjoy that. I really enjoy being able to help people in that way, um, to help them understand better how to do those things. And uh, it's just it really rewarding to me. But I, I haven't even given this talk, and already I've gotten far better, far more response to this than than anything I've done. And so to me... It feels like this is something there's people that people want to hear about that really like I guess there's and I think there's kind of two audiences I can imagine there's folks who are dealing with this shit and deal with this stuff every day and they don't um, and uh, they 
want to hear from somebody who is dealing with the same kinds of stuff and like how do you how do you deal with it right like how do you get through each day and i i don't know sometimes i'm not sure how because some days really fucking suck and and some days are good and it's it's tough um but uh i I'm always happy to sit down and talk with somebody and that, that makes me feel better about what I'm going through and, and, and often kind of centers me. And then if it helps them, man, that's just amazing. Right. And then the, uh, the other thing is that what my hope is that it also helps folks, um, who, uh, don't know what it's like and they, they, you know, thank God they don't really have to deal with this stuff. And, a lot of times they may just not understand really kind of what it's like or what is, you know, what are the things that, that this guy's going through and how do you kind of interact with them and deal with them and try to relate to them. Right. And, um, because it is different. Like I know the way that I, when I react to things, like a lot of times my reaction to stuff is, is just emotionally a lot stronger than, than another person's. And it sucks in a lot of ways because, you feel like an idiot because everybody else is having like what you'd call a normal reaction and not getting that uptight about it. And you're this guy who's getting way uptight for, and and you know, it's not helpful and you know, it's the wrong thing, but you just can't can't help yourself yourself because you have this really severe emotional reaction. It's really hard to deal with that. And so trying to sort of like put that in terms that folks can understand. Like when I was talking about, I remember on the podcast, I was talking about like what it's like for me, like if like uh, to like get on a bus, like on my own and like, like not, if I don't know like how things work, like what, how everything's supposed to go and stuff like that, I will just be like, fuck this. I'm out of here. I cannot do this. Right. I, I just, if I, you know, I, stuff like that, just, freaks me the heck out and um that you know most people don't have that problem right but i think it really helps that they can understand folks who do have those kinds of things there's obviously it's, it's not everybody's going to be exactly like me different kinds of social anxiety or depression or this or that there's lots of there's a gamut of, of, of different things um but to kind of you know understand where they're coming from i think is really helpful um i and one thing I want to say is I I really don't want to like trade on any and I, it always makes me feel uncomfortable when something bad happens. Some sort of prominent figure uh, does something like commit suicide or there's some kind of major event like that, and then people kind of t- use that as an opportunity to like, well, now I'm going to write an article about this, and it sometimes it feels like they're kind of cashing in, and I don't know if they really mean that or not, but I'm not really comfortable with that. So, but there are times when things like that have come up and come up kind of recently amongst in developer community and it community. Um, and I think maybe this would be a good time to start talking more about this stuff, to start talking more about, um, what are some of the things that you end up going through when you, when, if you have say depressive tendencies or suicidal tendencies or things like that, and you know, how to, I mean, it's going to vary for everybody, but, what I can talk about like what I've gone through in respect to that and you know, what are the things that helped me? How did people, you know, how, what are things that like people need to look for? You know, where do you get help? Um, things like that. So that maybe we, if we all have a better understanding of it, we're going to be able to help each other better. Um, 
And so, again, I can only speak, you know, my community is this open source developer community, and that's really what I know. And so my hope is that in this, that group, maybe I can help some there. And it seems like people are just, they've been so positive about, about it, about, you know, uh, trying to do something like this, that I, I'm really encouraged. So submitted to a couple conferences, like Open Source Bridge and OzCon, which are like only like two weeks apart, of course, um, in, the, in both in Portland across the country. And then um, I actually sent one in. There's like a CSS conf, which is like a conference for, you know, CSS. And I yep. guess it's the first one. And I saw, I actually saw it because uh, uh, Jan Leonard um, had uh, posted, had retweeted something about it. And I was like, All well... Right. I don't know because this is what you call a soft talk. It's not a technical talk, right? Um, it's a, a kind of a more touchy feely kind of thing, right? <laughs> but I thought maybe you know maybe they dig it, so I sent in the proposal. Maybe you know maybe they'll dig it, and maybe they won't. That's fine, you know. Maybe it fits in. But I'm going to keep trying to propose things, and and uh, I you know it. I'd like to give the talk as much as I can, um, you know, given that I I can't for the most part pay for you know, to fly all over the country and, and, and other places. And, um, I also, I'm scared to leave the country and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and those, those kinds of things. But I, I would really, you know, if there's folks listening and they're like, Hey, I'm doing organization and organizing a conference and, you know, maybe that'd be a cool thing to talk about. I'd love to talk to you. Right. And, and see if, uh, see if we can, we can make something happen. Cause I, I really want to get there and, 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 and talk to folks about it. Um, so that I guess the, again, everybody so everybody can learn about it, learn from each other, and and raise an understanding of it, raise that awareness of it, so that we can deal with it better. I got my fingers crossed, Ed. I hope you get into. I would love to go to OzCon or, or um, Open Source Bridge sometime. Um, the the big barrier is the fact that I'd have to pay my entire way. So in that case, I'd have to convince yeah. my. I would have to convince my company to let me. My employer, who are who are is incredibly understanding of all the things that I like to do, um, get permission from them to go. In fact, right. uh, while we're on the topic of conferences, we can kind of wind this down a little bit. But one of the conferences I really want to go to is the, um, the SCNA, the Software Craftsmanship North America conference. I've wanted to go to that one for a couple of years. So, of course, when is it in 2013? In all likelihood, the same goddamn weekend that True North PHP is going to be. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's funny. So, and after my experiences with doing True North PHP and then flying off to Sweden to go at Oradev, um, I'm pretty sure that's a marriage limiting thing. If I that's, go and try to, if I yeah. go and try to do True North and then go to this other conference. So, mm. uh, so I think we've talked enough. Let's just talk really briefly because we, because we always talk about these things conferences and other appearances coming up for us in the near future yeah. i will be spe- i will be speaking at uh midwest php which is the second and third of march in uh, minneapolis i'm also going to be working in uh a a third trip to the mall of america um when i'm there oh, i love that excellent. place i yes. love that place uh i also am uh, extremely honored to be uh speaking at um php tech this year it's under new management so with cal evans out of the way i'm free to be accepted finally we got rid of that finally. guy right that's right we got rid of that guy and now i can finally talk there uh it's a shame that ed that your talks were not accepted um well, but they hate me so that's, well, no, that's, that's, that's uh, not true at all that's not no, true it's at not all. true they don't hate you at all it's just that they really decide to 
to try something different. And there are a extremely large number of first time speakers yes. who are speaking at tech. So that's mm-hmm. exciting. But people, loyal listeners, do not fear. Ed will actually be there because we will be doing a live episode of uh, Dev Hell yep. at Tech. So he will be there hanging out, and we will probably do something very similar like we did last year, where during the unconf we will book a slot, probably try to book two hours because we can probably talk for at least 90 minutes to two hours, and pack a conference room full of people who will be very interested to watch you and I uh, discuss things live. Yeah, I think that, that'll be a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm glad that... Uh uh, they gave me permission to come in and, and hang out for a little bit. Um, I, I won't be around probably for the whole conference or anything, but uh, but I think it's exciting. And I think tech looks like it's uh, it looks like it's still going to be a really strong conference. Um, and uh, so I'm I'm excited to see what's going on there. And uh, I found out that my employer, Cinecar, Cinecor, <laughs> are one of the sponsors this year. So um, chances are I will be there along with uh, several of my uh, employees talking to people about the stuff that we do. I had uh, I had a very fun experience today of watching one of our more uh, brilliant staff members uh, use this uh, data analysis tool that we've created and that we are going to actually be open sourcing. Um, nice to do some crazy three-dimensional histograms for me on uh, cookie analysis because I'm doing cookie analysis stuff at work to identify some cookies that are causing our applications grief. I'm right on. Oh, man, this guy whipped together uh, through the magic of Unix pipes a series of commands using this tool that we call DTK to do some heavy-duty number crunching to give me to give me exactly what I was looking for. So I need to know which cookies are being loaded too often and which ones are getting huge in size so we can start saying what's, so we can start blaming people and right. saying, you need to go fix this. Uh, in a couple of hours, he, uh, whipped this together. In fact, he actually made me, made me leave a meeting I was in to come out and take a look at the thing that he was working on. He was so excited to, uh, uh share the results with me. So, That's awesome. so, uh, well, what people don't know about Cinecore is that we actually are deal with, and this is not a lie, Facebook levels of traffic uh, for all the work that we do with our clients. So again, I know that my company is always hiring people, and we hire remote people as well. So you not you will not necessarily have to relocate to the Buffalo area. We do work with really high traffic uh, web applications. So if you've ever really wanted to work in an environment where the work that you do will will actually be used by millions of people, Cinecore is a place to come and work. That's awesome. It, it boggles my mind sometimes the scale of the data that I, uh, I have to schlep through to find the answers to my questions. <laughs> it's, it's when, when, you know, when we talk about terabytes of log files being generated every single day, it's very, uh, it's very impressive and awe-inspiring. All right, so I think we're at the end. This has been episode number 28 of the Development Hell podcast. Sponsorless this week, but we're talking to Engine Yard. And if you have something that you want to promote, please talk to me and Ed on Twitter. Several people have approached us. We're just basically trying to... Um, trying to hammer agreements out so that we can continue to produce high-quality episodes for you guys. Right so, as always, so as always, you can find us online. We have a Twitter account, dev underscore hell. You can find every single episode that we have ever done on the devhell.info um, website. We're also available on iTunes. Please, please, please go and rate us on iTunes. It helps us get feedback, helps us continue to do awesome things with the podcast. You can find me on Twitter, Grumpy Programmer without the U. You can find Ed on Twitter with Funkatron as a U. Uh, thanks for very much for listening and we should be back next week with another fun filled episode take care everybody
Good night, Internet.